Welcome to our podcast, All About the Car, brought to you by Sherrill Tire and Service. I'm your host, Rob Hoffman, an auto service specialist with over 46 years of industry experience. On the ride with me today, our regular guest, Brian Call, a 42-year veteran of the automotive industry. Hello, Brian. Hey, Rob. How are we doing? We're doing okay. And Bill Sherrill, a guy that's logged a lot of Wisconsin miles behind the wheel and always has a lot of great questions. Welcome back, Bill. Thanks, Rob. It's a beautiful day for a drive. Today, we have a very special guest on the drive, Brian Cummins of Great Northern Distilling in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Welcome, Brian. Hey, thanks, Rob. I suppose you could say that we're your guests (laughs) since you've invited us to your new tasting room, and it's beautiful. We're just loving to sit here and the nice, cool temperatures. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, we're very happy to be in downtown Stevens Point in our new facility, finally, after many, many, many months of construction. (laughs) Oh, glad to be here. So let's hop in, buckle up, and hit the road. So distilleries are not a new idea. Before Prohibition in the 1920s, there were over 2,000 distilleries across the country. Only six were allowed to remain after Prohibition took place due to whiskey's medicinal value. Following the repeal in 1933, Americans were free to drink again. Today, Wisconsin is home to over 30 distilleries where you can hang out and enjoy great conversations like we're doing today. So, Brian, thanks for having us here at your distillery. And just absolutely, like I said before, just beautiful, just comfortable to be here and got to get back here for some fun coming up soon. So as far as your title goes, Brian, would you be considered the master distiller? Well, you know, Rob, that is a term that I really take as a real term of respect that you have to earn. And I'm only 10 years into this career. So I always introduce myself as the founder or the head distiller, but never the master distiller. Okay. That takes years and years to get right. And I think we're doing pretty well here, but it's certainly something that ask me in 20 years (laughs) how I'm doing with that. (laughs) That makes sense. Actually, the founder is pretty impressive as well. So that puts a nice title underneath your name. That's pretty cool. So what was that magic moment? When was that where you said, yeah, this is what I'm going to do? So that really harkens back all the way to 2012, February of 2012. Okay. When I was over in Minneapolis with a group of friends that actually included Bill at a mixology bar there called the Marvel Bar, which is unfortunately closed. It didn't make it through COVID, but we were sitting around enjoying some just amazing craft cocktails, ah. great spirits, really well-made, handmade cocktails, uh, something that harkens back to prohibition. And one of our other friends had just read an article in Popular Mechanics magazine about small batch craft distilling and said, boy, wouldn't that be something fun to do? And for me, it was a light bulb moment. I was in the paper industry as a chemical engineer for my whole career since coming to central Wisconsin from Ohio in the mid-90s and had been through I think it's six or eight mergers, acquisitions, downsizings, mill closures over that time. And I made it through most of them, (laughs) but ended up working at a small company in Nakusa and just felt underemployed, didn't feel like there was another 25 years left in that business for me to do what I wanted to do. So when this idea came up, it really set my mind going about, wow, this can combine my chemical engineering skills and my kind of good culinary palate that I've developed over years, as well as some sales and marketing skills that I developed with the mills as a product manager, which is kind of the guy who 
acted as the bridge between the paper mills, the technical side, and use customers out in the field. So to make sure they had what they needed and to be able to translate engineer to printer or to magazine producer or catalog producer. So it combined really all of those things. And it also felt like, unlike craft brewing, it felt like there was still opportunity there. Even back in 2012, it felt like it was just too late to be a brewer and to be successful. Whereas at that point, there were only... I think six or eight oh, craft wow. distilleries okay. in the state so of Wisconsin. So you could really stand out. So it's something we could get into and feel like we maybe weren't the first, but we were in on the ground floor. Sure. So we started in Plover in 2013 and made it successful there and eventually came to our new facility here in Stevens Point. Nice. So you were in Plover for about nine years? Is that the number? Yeah, okay. yeah. We were there for nine years and had a nice tasting room there and production facility. Actually, the total square footage is about half of what we have here in Stevens Point. And during COVID, just like everyone, we struggled, although we did keep up with our rent. And at the end of that time in 2021, our landlord, our lease was up for renewal. And it was the option either we could take or he could take. And he just wanted to use the building for other things. He built some apartments next door and wanted to utilize the building for something else. So that was really our chance to decide, well, what does the next 20 or 30 years of Great Northern Distilling look like? And first and foremost, it was, boy, you know, we really feel like we need to be in downtown Stevens Point, that center of gravity for the area where there's more foot traffic, more tourist traffic. Plover was lovely. It just, we were tucked away kind of back with Mark Motors, Toyota, and other things back there. But you had IHOP near you. Well, yeah, the (laughs) IHOP. And I did talk with a number of those employees about trading vodka for bacon, and it just never took off. That never worked. (laughs) Hmm. Well, really, and getting into this kind of a business, too, is there's another angle here. It's really giving you a connection with the ag community of central Wisconsin as well. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons and one of the values that we have here at Great Northern Distilling is we want to source as many of our ingredients from within 150 miles of our distillery as we possibly can. And being here in Wisconsin, we are really blessed with amazing agriculture and amazing products, whether it's vegetables or fruits, cranberries, ginseng up in Wausau. I mean, we have just some of the best agriculture in the country. And I think we're kind of some of those humble Midwesterners and we don't really celebrate that as much as we should. So we really wanted to promote that we were sourcing almost all of our ingredients from within that radius. So of course, first we started with our potato vodka because we were in plover (laughs) and and our potatoes were coming from within about two miles of the distillery. (laughs) So that is much more local than that. Yeah, that is hyper local (laughs) for sure. So that was our starting point. And we grew to sourcing all of our grains from a small farm up in Rhinelander called Northern Tier Farms. And then all of our malt comes from Brees Malts over in Chilton. So those are our kind of core ingredients and where we ferment most of those products to make a distiller's mash and then distill off the alcohol. And that's what we concentrate and 
and put into our models. We don't want to go down the path of how this is all made. No, I don't no. think so. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I'm looking through the window here, and I'm seeing a lot of equipment out here, which is really kind of cool. Yeah, I think Pete, that was beautiful. great for a tour. I mean, you, you are going to start tour. You had tours in Plover, didn't you? We had tours in Plover, and we do intend to start those yep. sometime soon. Maybe by the time right this is published. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but we still have some construction items that we've got to tick off the list where it's not quite the best put forward back there or the way that I want it to look. So our public tours will start once we uh, awesome. get the show dressing then on. People forever. can learn everywhere. all about how I'll the be details first in line. and the chemistry and everything else. <laughs> exactly. Well, Bill knows me well and knows that I will pontificate on for hours and hours <laughs> without prompting. <laughs> and they got the traditional copper. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah I love yeah. it. They're gorgeous. And that's all hand-built still that was built for us in Germany by a company called Kota, K-O-T-H-E. Wow. And they have really artisanal metal crafters there. And it really is working sculpture to me. So that was built to order. You ordered yeah, it, they yeah. built it for you. Yep, yep. That was one of the things that we wanted to get right, right off the bat. There's a lot of cheap Chinese stills out there, things that are just not got the kind of technology you need to make a truly world-class spirit. And this really combines all of those things. Plus some of the old technology, you mentioned, Brian, that it's copper. Well, it's solid copper. And that's important because you get a smoother spirit out of a copper still. Wow. Because that copper actually catalyzes some of those bad flavor compounds to make a smoother, higher quality spirit. That was the one follow-up question I was going to ask is, does the still over time get better with age? Not in really. what it's making. We or... actually, every time we clean it, we dissolve a small part of it. Okay. <laughs> oh. Because that is one of the things in our production cycle. About every two weeks to a month, depending on what we've been making and how we've been making it, we need to reactivate that copper. And that's the clean in place system where we have sodium hydroxide that strips out all the organic material, the oils and other things. But then we follow that up with citric acid, which actually removes all of the scale from inside of the still with the copper being exposed. And it becomes like a shiny penny in there after. And at the end of that cycle, when we've run a number of batches, it's almost black because so much of those flavor compounds have been tied up with the copper. There's that chemistry education. <laughs> there <Yeah>. you go. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about your location here. You've been here how long? Yeah, we opened really the 1st of May. 1st of May, okay. So, so it was a long construction process, and with so many supply chain issues, and I'm sure people have experienced that in getting cars. Sure. It's tough to get new cars for a while, so boy, you know, we got to take care of our used cars to make sure that they keep running. But yeah, we waited on steel. We waited on windows. The last thing was doors. We couldn't open for almost three weeks because we were waiting on three doors that just were backordered and not showing up. But yeah, so we started here at the beginning of May and got some history here on the site. Yeah, that's what I thought I read something about that. So I'm excited to hear about this. Yeah, yeah. So this site was originally, it was a number of things, but most of the locals will recognize it as the Belky Lumber Building that was here. And unfortunately, that building, it was a wood-structured building and kind of a little cut up and just not structurally able to do what we needed it to do. 
So when the city purchased that, before we even thought of coming to Stevens Point, they decided that the building had to come down and they did recover some wood from there and things like that, but it just wasn't going to be able to be redeveloped on site. So when the site was bare and I started talking with the city, they're like, boy, you know, we would really like manufacturer to be on this historic manufacturing site. So it kind of continues that tradition of Belky Lumber. Interesting. But before that, there were all kinds of things here. There was a bicycle shop at really? first, and then a guy named Charles Cabela purchased it and started the Polsky Hotel, the Cabela's Polsky Hotel, which became a kind of rooming hotel for a while and then attracted, let's say, ladies of the late afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> so what that. they call that, the house of ill, ill repute? repute. Yes, or yes. The, yes, the ungentleman's yes. gentleman something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And you're right on top of that. We are. And there have been some reports here on site of some questionable, maybe ghost activity. Interesting. So we, oh. we have had a couple of weird things happen. And actually, a photo showed up, strangely enough, that we found a photo. It was in the construction site. And we asked every construction worker, where'd you find this? Or where did this come from? And no one could explain it. And it looks like it's from about the 20s. So it was a strange occurrence. And my distiller, John, said, well, that's the ghost of Charles Cabela dropping stuff off. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be looking for this history in yeah. the names of cocktails. Since. Oh, sure. <laughs> That's a great idea. I'm taking a note. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for all of our ghost lovers out there, if you want to know where this is located, <laughs> just across the street from Piffner Pioneer Park. I mean, I can almost see it from where I'm sitting right here. And if that big building over there wasn't here, you could see the river. Well, one of the things that was such a nice surprise is during Riverfront Rendezvous, we found that our front patio is an ideal spot to watch the fireworks. We really had a lovely view. (laughs) You had a perfect, yes, you did. Absolutely. And getting back to the historical side of things, the Portage County Historical Society is doing a pub crawl. And we're the final stop of that pub crawl. There's one at the end of July and there's one at the end of August as well. So people can sign up, pay a few bucks. You get a good story and drink at each of the locations. I think there's three or four stops. Okay, and right in Stevens Point. Right in Stevens okay. Point. It's a walking tour. So John Harry has been doing a great job over at the Portage County Historical Society with that. Did you have a grand opening? Our grand opening, that's kind of a strange thing. You know, we certainly were waiting a long time to open, and we had a friends and family night with kind of our need for revenue. (laughs) We're like, well, we're just going. We're not going to have any kind of big ribbon cutting or things like that. We'll probably celebrate that next year when we've got a full year under our belt. It won't be necessarily a grand opening, but it'll be an annual anniversary party that we'll have. Makes sense. Well, as with every All About the Car podcast, we always break away and do an interesting Wisconsin road trip. And as we were talking about just the local feel of Stevens Point, we started to talk more about supper clubs and how Wisconsin is really well known for supper clubs. Uh, You know you're from the Midwest when you know what a supper club is. So it's really Wisconsin's claim to fame. So we're going to talk about several supper clubs that we might have had experience with. I haven't been to too many of them, maybe just a couple. So Google tells us that the oldest continually running supper club is the Red Circle Inn right here in Nashata. 
Do you know where that is in Wisconsin? It sounds like a Wisconsin name, but I'm not sure sure I'm saying it right. They opened back in 1848. And as a matter of fact, Wisconsin has over 260 supper clubs today, which is more than all the other states combined. So our claim to fame here in Wisconsin. Fish fries and prime rib. Oh, you said it. Don't get no better, baby. You said it. Don't forget about the old fashions. Yes. Do you happen to serve one here at the distillery? We do. We Uh do. And it's a combination of the kind of classic old school East Coast old fashioned, which is just sugar, bitters, and some spirit, either brandy or whiskey, stirred over ice, and that's it. Or... The Wisconsin-style old-fashioned, which is was developed in the supper clubs and is a combination of muddled cherry and orange and bitters and then topped with soda. So our old-fashioned, we do muddle a cherry. We use local tapped maple syrup as oh, the sweetener. There you go. Our Vanguard whiskey, which is our bourbon, and stir that over ice and pour that over a big, giant, clear ice cube, and then are topped with just a little bit of seltzer, and then flame and orange peel over top of it to give kind of some oh, of that smoky. orange, fla- wow. yeah, smoky, caramelized orange flavor. I'm not leaving well, here today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just one other question, because the name Old Fashioned in the books that we're going to refer to, I mean, whether people order Old Fashioned or Old Fashioned, yeah. It's two different things, oh. but also where does that name really come from in the history of cocktail? So there's not a clear line to that. And I heard some people say the old fashioned is the original cocktail, that it was back in the early to mid 1800s when whiskey was kind of terrible and most spirits were terrible and kind of that rot gut whiskey you see in Westerns. <laughs> yeah. right. So what they would do is they'd add sugar and bitters to it just to make it more palatable. Well, as time progressed and we got to the late 1800s, whiskey was a lot better quality. But some of the old timers would say, give me that whiskey in the old fashioned. And that's where that argument of, well, is it an old fashioned or an old fashioned? That's a question kind of lost to history. What would be correct? Both are acceptable. We'll give you a cocktail. (laughs) Uh, Well, we won't give you a cocktail. We'll sell you a cocktail. But That's kind of the history of where that came from. The thought of why does Wisconsin love brandy in the old-fashioned versus the whole rest of the country that's primarily bourbon or rye whiskey is some thought is between the German immigrants coming and Polish immigrants that the type of liquor they predominantly drank was never whiskey. It was always brandy. And there was also some thought that that came up the Mississippi River from New Orleans, which is primarily French, and that was the port for brandy coming into the U.S. Interesting. So that's another thought of where the brandy preference in Wisconsin came from. Fantastic. Wow, I know a lot more about that today than I did yesterday. Yeah, (laughs) I'm a fountain of useless information. I love it. I love it. (laughs) And there's also all sorts of food things at supper clubs, too. Yeah, Brian, you just started with that list, but there's so much more. Back in the day, it started with a relish tray. What's a relish tray? Oh, you got pickles and dips and crackers and... Celery. Celery was on there. Yep. Liver paste. Yeah, that's the one that I wish would come back. I need to talk to Chef Thad over at Michelle's because Michelle's relish tray when I came to town in the mid-90s was just fantastic. And they would always have this little thing of prime rib pate, the liver pate, which was just delicious. 
And I bet he's still got that recipe. <laughs> he does. <laughs> not letting it go either, probably. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> and there's also some possibly jello involved. That's right. Some type of gelatin. Radishes. Yep. They were on. Oh, there. sure. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. What are some of the experiences you guys have had at supper clubs? Which ones do you visit? I like to go and I will enjoy the adventure of supper clubs and that there's the books about this by Ron. Fayola. So there are great resources to just go on road trips. I mean, just take a road trip for an evening or a day and go to a supper club and then have your meal and come on back or stay overnight. If you've had too many old fashions, (laughs) always safe to be good. Yeah, there's a supper club down in Racine called the Hobnob, and I kind of read up on that because that name kind of caught my attention. And they're known for their, well, they have the old retro carpets, colorful carpets, the mirrored walls and the leather chairs, but they're known for their steak, seafood, lamb shank, fish fry, and wiener schnitzel. Oh, I think yeah. we're going pretty deep back into history yes, there. Yes, and they, yes. Good old German restaurant. That sounds right. German all the way. They opened back in the 1930s, so they've been around a long time, still going strong. They ended up being one of the top supper clubs in Wisconsin. And we cannot forget about the salad bar. The salad bar, that yeah. Is a classic, oh, yeah. Where many of those relish things, you get to eat them again, if you so yep. choose. And the 50s, Google tells us that our own local Sky Club was the first entity or restaurant to bring up an actual salad salad bar bar that was designed by that, designed for a salad bar. They just reopened it here recently, last month or two. Which is fantastic. And it's awesome. So you can go back and experience the original salad bar. That's right. Wow. And there's a supper club down in Watoma called the Silver Crisp. And Brian, you and I were talking about that earlier. They're known for their salad dressing. Yeah, you can buy in a lot of local grocery stores. The Silver Crisp Supper Club dates back to 1894. So that's really going back in time. And they've had a large black bull that stands out front, a big statue that's been greeting guests since 1965. So you can't miss it. You can't drive by this place and not notice that big bull. So just a lot of interesting supper clubs. Like I said, over 260. The branding iron in Wisconsin oh, Rapids, not good. too far. Fabulous. Yep. On the south side of town. Well, let's come back to Stevens Point to Great Northern Distilling. And again, we're sitting here with Brian, founder of the distilling. And let's talk a little bit about planning and design of the new facility here. Was that you all by yourself or did you have a team? (laughs) Oh, gosh, no. I'm not that talented. You can take credit. It's beautiful. Well, I like to say I may not be able to do it, but I know it when I see it. So fortunately, we were able to work with a really great local builder, Wanta and Son Construction out of Hatley, and they specialize in steel buildings. But the son of Wanta and Son, Ryan Wanta, he has a background in actually the fashion industry and has a really great design eye. He was educated at Pratt in New York and Paris, had his own fashion line out in LA, and then moved back to town a number of years ago to work in the family business. And at that point, they had been putting up these steel buildings that were primarily warehouses and other more industrially focused commercial buildings. And Ryan kind of said, well, I've got this design sense. Let's start doing more design build and finding how we can dress these steel buildings up into something really special and be economical construction, but still really have a nice polished finish. And that's what we have here. Our uh, space is actually two steel buildings backed up to each other that look like a whole, uh, one taller than the other. 
and we've got like a little coop at the top with some windows on that top course. But that gives us really great open space. And our tasting room, we've got 28-foot ceilings and lovely design in wood. And you had mentioned supper clubs previously. And that was kind of the base idea that we had. We wanted to design, kind of have hearkening back to that mid-century supper club, but a modernized interpretation of it. So Uh, you can see that now as you're describing it. Yep, I can see it. Yeah, we've got some materials in here that are classic, like the bar stools and the bar front are padded with kind of nice vinyl hand-built chairs that were actually built for us by Les's upholstery here in Stevens Point. And they did a great job for us and our banquettes as well. So that kind of gives you that retro feel with a padded bar front. And then the combed plywood that's called weld tax. You probably have seen that in old 60s houses, a plywood that has kind of this striation to it. We're actually the first one to use it again in the Midwest. A guy out in California decided he's going to start making this again. It had been out of production since the 80s. So we were the first to use that material here in the Midwest. And all the wood has a local history too, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So because it's such a big space, we wanted some way to warm it up and to not feel cavernous or cold. So Ryan, we work with Dombeck Custom Cabinetry and some others in the area to utilize white ash everywhere. And we have just tons of white ash in this building. But the, the local story of that is much of this was recovered from emerald ash borer trees that that had to be taken down. So it was not only a beneficial reuse of that, but also a nice local wood. And now you also, uh, you're open for events too. Yeah, People can rent your facility. How does that work? So in Plover, we never had the ability to host private events without closing our main bar and closing to the public. So We really shied away from that and only would do that on days when the bar wasn't open. So what we've done now is we have a almost 2,000 square foot event space that is separate from our main bar, has a private bar in back that's staffed for private events, and we can host up to 130, 140 people back there. So it's great for those mid-size weddings and birthday parties and, and corporate events that people want to use. Stevens Point has a lot of venues that are under 100 and several big ones, Mm -hmm. 300 person events like you can have out at Century. But really that 100 to 150 range, I felt like wasn't really well served. So that was kind of our target to hit. And we've not really promoted hosting events and we have a bunch of bookings going into the fall. So we're really pleased with that so far. And we've actually got a concert coming up There's a group called the Jazz Coterie. They're actually based in Wapaka, but they bring top-notch jazz performers to Stevens Point and the Fox Valley, and they're back-to-back gigs. But they've done them at the Country Club. They've done them up at Mosinee Brewing, but we're a new spot to host that. So Benny Benack III, who's a trumpet player and -and up-and-coming jazz singer, will be performing here at the middle of August coming up. So a little bit more on the functionality of your building. So you have really high ceilings like you talked about. I got to believe you have to have that because of the still and your production as we look out through the window here and see that. Tell us a little bit more about uh, capacity. Now, has your capacity increased here in this new building versus 
clover? Our capacity for serving people, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but our capacity for producing spirits is just about the same. Okay. We never really hit the full running capacity of what our still can produce, which if we were running at 24-7, we could produce 150,000 bottles a year or something like that. I don't think we ever sold much more than twenty-five or 30,000 bottles. Because we are distributed statewide, a little bit out in California and a little in New York, but it just never really got that kind of volume production that we had hoped for with our original business plan to go out through distribution and be on every store shelf and every supermarket and every back bar. That's just a really hard row to hoe these days. So the idea behind the new facility in Stevens Point is to concentrate more on site revenue. So to bring Ah, people to us, have it be more of a tourism location, a nightlife location, an event location where we'll consume most of that here on site. Although we do still sell throughout the state of Wisconsin on store shelves and are very happy to do that. It's just not our main concentration. Speaking of distribution, how do you get that product out there? How is that happening for you? You can't be doing it all. No, no. (laughs) And that is the case. Uh, Only for a number of reasons. One, I'm only one person. (laughs) But the other is the three-tier system in Wisconsin, which is manufacturers can't sell directly to bars and restaurants, at least not yet. (laughs) Uh, There is some legislation going through the Senate and Assembly right now to make some changes to those laws. But we have a distributor in the center, and our distributor is General Beverage, in their Oshkosh, Madison, and Milwaukee houses that purchase our product at wholesale and then deliver that to our bars and restaurants and retailers throughout the state. Something that you had said about having a banquet room and kind of a gathering, but you also have food. Yeah, yeah. That was a new addition to this location in Stevens Point as well. In Plover, we just did not have the facilities kind of back behind the bar to do any kind of food. And here in Stevens Point, we do have a nice prep area that allowed us to put in one of those rapid cook ovens. And we've got some real basic kind of shareable items. We've got a couple of flatbreads. We've got a smoked whitefish pate, which is really delicious. That's one of my favorites. Some chili dip, you know, things you can just share with people, our clients, before or after dinner place. Okay. Typically, yeah. people aren't coming here to eat dinner because we never had food before. Sure. And we've got great restaurants here in downtown Stevens Point for people to enjoy a cocktail and an appetizer here and you then can make a weekend of it, really. Well, Absolutely. we'll just keep trading people around down there. It's, it's <laughs> so always are, good for me. Are you available to bring in catering then? Yeah, yeah. So in our event space, We encourage people to use local caterers. We do prefer that they're licensed caterers. So there's not a food safety issue or something that could hurt their people or their guests or our reputation. (laughs) As everyone got sick at this event at Great Northern, that would not be a good good advertising (laughs) for us. But yeah, so, and we've got some really great caterers in the area that some restaurants that do catering, like Michelle's and Rockman's Catering is standby and really does fantastic work. So we've also had Chef C and from Father Fats and and Chef's Kitchen do some catering here as well. So, but yeah, we're open to people bringing that in and arranging that separately. And we don't take a cut of that like some facilities do. So that's a separate contract with others and you negotiate that with them and we don't stick our nose in it. (laughs) Got it. 
What's your most popular drink? Yeah, you that's gotta have, There's got to be a number one here. And it varies, but certainly the old-fashioned Okay. Yeah. And we typically are selling that at least one and a half to one of any other cocktail. But there have been some over the last few weeks that have challenged it. One that just is coming off the menu, so people will be disappointed they can't get it when they hear about it is a drink called Come on Barbie, Let's Go Party. <laughs> we had all kinds of people with the Barbie movie sure. coming in and wanting that drink. It's uh, kind of hot pink because we use a dragon fruit powder in it and with blue sprinkles. So it looks like something right out of Mattel, but it is certainly not meant for the kids. <laughs> Although we do a non-alcoholic version of that as well. So you get all the fruit flavor and that without the alcohol. I know, Bill, you mentioned earlier to me that you've been here to this facility and really have enjoyed some relaxing evenings and afternoons. You talked to me a little bit about the hand soap. I was just going to say there is one design <laughs> with the hand soap that do you talk about that or just let people experience? Well, it is something for people to experience, okay. but that was actually something that Ryan Wanta and I came to separately. I saw these hand soaps that were from, I think their origin is in the uh, underground of Paris. Though, So the subway of Paris has these really hard milled, good quality French soaps on like a little stick that comes out of the wall and you wet your hands and rub your hand over it. And that's how you get the soap. It's not a dispenser. And Ryan brought that up as we were planning what goes in the bathrooms. He's like, you know, there's this weird French soap that I want to use. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I saw this in 2012 in New York City at a bar, French bar there, and always thought, boy, I'd love to have that in Great Northern. And we just weren't able to do it in the Plover location. So when he brought that up and reminded me of it, I'm like, we are doing this. It might make people a little uncomfortable, but it's a unique and special thing. Brian, we got to check the bathrooms out before we go. I'm intrigued. (laughs) One at a time. No, (laughs) We are running into some issues because I think there's some people that, you know, you get a couple of drinks in them (laughs) and they just can't figure out how to work it. I had one of my contractors on our friends and family night come up to me and say, hey, the soap dispenser isn't working in the bathroom. Oh, I keep hitting right, it on the end. It, right, and nothing the old comes ones, out. the old powder ones yeah, had yeah. looked that oval and had like the yep, little yep. metal knob that you pressed up and got powder in your hand. And we also have had during UWSP graduation weekend, that's our busiest night we've ever had. It was a huge crowd uh, that wow, night. nice. But we must have had some younger college folks that had Didn't a few many it. drinks. And they ripped it right off the wall. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so i uh, gotten out my tubes of JB Weld, as I'm sure many amateurs use on their cars of and course. shouldn't. I should take it to Cheryl Tire and Service. But getting my JB Weld out to reinforce the plate and to also anchor into the tile rather than just into the sink fascia, which uh, was a little less stable than I would have liked it to be. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of live and learn as you go, huh? Absolutely. (laughs) That JB Weld, it can do anything. It can. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned earlier a little bit about some of the laws that might be changing when it comes to distilling. What do you see in the future? I mean, how do you see this twisting and turning and where are we going to end up? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm on the Distillers Guild Board of Directors or just ended my term with that. And really for the last eight years, we have been negotiating to get a modernization 
of the liquor laws in Wisconsin, where Section 125 was really cobbled together since Prohibition. One law gets put in, and then another, and then another, and another, and it becomes a patchwork over time. For example, distillers as manufacturers, we don't have a defined closing time. So versus a bar, I could technically, by the law, serve 24-7 here and be a, a late night bar. <laughs> Not that I'm going to do that because I don't want to work that hard. Right. <laughs> but And a contrast to that, the wineries in the area, those manufacturers, well, they're very clearly defined in the statute that they have to be closed by 9 p.m. And when they say closed, they mean lights off closed. It would be a violation. It's not last call at nine. So there are just a lot of these inconsistencies. So we've been negotiating with the Tavern League, the distributors, and other kind of interested parties there to come up with a common sense rewrite of Section 125. And that has passed the assembly now, and we'll have some benefits and some challenges for everyone. But it's in committee in the Senate and hopefully to be passed very soon. It's good to know that there's change afoot. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yep. There's a group of people working on it. Yep. So what do you see as the future? What's the next step for Great Northern Distilling? You had nine years in Plover from sitting at somewhere with a drink and some buddies, and now you're here. What's the big picture? What's way out there? So the way out there, I think, is I'm just turning 50 this year. So I am starting to look in that 10, 20 year forward. What does the future of Great Northern look like with or without me? I think one of the things that's high on my list is doing some sort of employee buyout down the road. So it can be an employee owned business here on site and also the real estate. So we'll see. It's certainly a goal I have. When we first started, it really was a group of friends and family as investors. And some have left and some have come in during those previous 10 years. But there's a lot of those people that are looking, you know, what's my time horizon for exiting my 2% or whatever of Great Northern Distilling? And I want to give them a light at the end of the tunnel as well, especially now that we're Here in downtown Stevens Point, we've been successful with the volume. We're hitting our projections that we had made. And I worked with the UWSP Small Business Development Center to come up with, well, what does that look like? Uh, What are the projections? What are the future? Can it cash flow? All of those kind of business technical things, which I'm not always the strongest at. And to give them, those investors, kind of the, here is the exit plan. So that's really what I'm working on. Along with all the day-to-day things. So in your free time. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and they often say you got to take time to work on your business and not in your business. So hopefully getting more and more of that time as more and more of uh, the things get ticked off our punch list. I've definitely been the maintenance man for the last, uh, (laughs) because so much of the equipment we purchased for the back bar or the prep area or food, it was all used equipment. So we tried to scrimp and save on our budget because construction costs were so much higher than we had projected to use some, find some used equipment at restaurant auctions or Facebook marketplace was definitely my friend for a while, Yeah, but you sometimes never know what you're getting. And even when you got it up and running just fine, you don't see the weak link until it's really in operation. So I've been uh, working on a lot of those punch list things as well. I think as uh, the downtown Stevens Point continues to evolve on a positive note, I think you're sitting in the right place. 
I think this was a good move and you could really just do almost a walking tour and really have a good time. Well, and you go sit in the park. Yes. And it's also something that kind of connects the north side to downtown. For so many years, the mall was kind of a giant wall that kind of prevented that. And uh, with former Mayor Halverson, you know, really pushing the redevelopment of that mall site that really opened up the north side of downtown to grow and to serve that community of individuals on the north side. Well, we've learned a lot today about a great new social opportunity located in the heart of historic Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Great northern distilling. Thank you, Brian, for hosting this episode of All About the Car. Thanks for having me. We hope to have you right along next time on All About the Car. To listen to previous episodes, find additional resources, or to simply send us a message, head to allaboutthecarpodcast.com. We'll see you next time.